here we go. Welcome to the Nine Rat Fantasy Football Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back into the Nine Route Fantasy Football Podcast. Pat and Scott, we are here on the final day of February. Uh, we took a little time off, as we always do in the off season. Obviously, the the Super Bowl did happen a, a few weeks back, and, and we're going to talk about what went down, stats, and and our opinions on the game. We had a little extra skin in it with our hometown Philadelphia Eagles being in it. Um, obviously, it did not go the way we expect it but um as as our quarterback says we will flush it and move on and that being said well you know we'll go over that we'll go over again our little reviews and critiques and then uh just kind of give you a little update on our usual off-season concepts of scheduling as far as our podcast and what we're going to talk about which you know would follow suit with most of the nfl off-season with drafts and free agent moves, coaching changes, and then before you know it, it's going to be June and July training camp, and we'll be right back to the grind with our preseason rankings and and whatnot. And we're going to review what we had from the 2022 season and see how we did uh, again in some of those shows coming up. Pat, you know, it's been a couple weeks. I am already in baseball mode. I'm just trying to (laughs) just trying to get past it. I mean, yes, we will talk about it, but, you know, I, I know that you were you needed your Aaron Rodgers um, sensory deprivation, <laughs> just that like a two weeks I of did. darkness to, yeah. to find the light. Um, you know, h- how you doing, man? I, I know it. I know it did. It hit us all, but I know it hit you uh, extremely hard. Yeah, it's weird because the Super Bowl show that we did leading up to the, the you know the game, you had mentioned how um, I don't know if it was actually in if it made the cut for the podcast, but you were talking to me about how hard you took the Phillies losing the world series. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm just not as big of a baseball fan. I'm definitely not as big of a baseball fan as you are, but I, I, I just was like, didn't understand the, I guess that feeling. And then after that super bowl, I think I was just so, uh, there was just such a, a roller coaster of emotion for me from being up 10 at halftime to just sort of watching things fall apart in the second half. I I just was not in a good place. And, you know, I didn't want to come on here. It's like that failed relationship. Like you can't really talk about the person or see pictures of them or, you know, you just kind of want to just distance yourself as much as possible. So I do want to apologize to our listeners and to you, Scott. I know that uh, the Monday after the Super Bowl, you were ready to, to, to rock and roll and, you know, probably needed to vent a little bit. And I just, for whatever reason was just feeling, you know, like you said, I just needed to be left alone and I didn't want to think about it and I didn't want to talk about it. And, uh, and it hurt. It it was, it was probably the most painful loss I can remember uh, being an Eagles fan. And we've had plenty of painful losses uh, in our, you know, in our time as Eagles fans for sure. But uh, that one, I think being ahead and, and sort of feeling like at halftime, like, Hey man, if we can just keep this going we got this game in the bag and then to just sort of watch you know like i said everything kind of just crumble in that second half was really devastating for me and um i watched it with my brother i uh, went down to his house and hung out with him and his wife and his kids it brought my son down his who's just now getting into football and um 
it was a pretty silent ride home, honestly. And, and that's not like me. I'm usually, you know, pretty playful and fun with my son and, and, you know, we joke around and call each other names and, you know, all that, all that stuff. And it was just, I was just really kind of in a somber place. So ready to talk about it now. I was, I was ready to talk about it last week, but we had some technical difficulties, um, you know, getting some of our equipment working properly. So we, we scratched it and decided to, uh, to record this week. And, and I think I'm, you know, I'm partially healed you know, from, from what happened on Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, we'll, we'll dive into that today. Before we start that, though, just want to uh, throw our socials and our, our website and stuff out there. Uh, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, Scott and I are on there at the nine route one at Scott from Delco. We have a website. You can go and check that out. www.thenineroutefffb.com. And if you'd like to email the show, any suggestions or questions, anything like that, you can reach us at the nine route FFB at gmail.com. I, I know that you, you were needing to vent a little bit after that game. So here's your opportunity. I know we didn't, we haven't really even talked about it. We talked, um, you know, in the let's, previous let's do, the, let's do the stats first. Okay. I think right. We can fair. We can definitely, you know, get into our, you know, our, our personal beefs, feelings, our, <laughs> our personal, <laughs> yes, our beefs with, with some things that happened again, you know, based off of that. So, uh, yeah, uh, I I could kind of take us through. I guess that start. I'll let you go first with the venting. I know you're still <laughs> need to get that out. But um, obviously the game ended um in in a good fashion for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, final score was Kansas City 38, Philadelphia Eagles 35. Uh, Jalen Hurts had a pretty solid game overall. Uh, actually, uh, borderline MVP worthy yeah, even in absolutely. the loss. Um, 27 of 38, 304. Uh, for those of you at home that say, oh, yeah, he's a running quarterback, he threw for 304. And, and again, you know, that's a defense that can give up some yards to the QB. Uh, did throw a passing touchdown. Uh, also ran 15 times for 70 yards and three touchdowns. That tied a Super Bowl record for rushing touchdowns held by the Denver Broncos running back Terrell Davis. Uh, and it is the most by a quarterback in Super Bowl history. Devonta Smith, seven catches for 100 yards. Probably should have been one more for a little bit more yards, but we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, A.J. Brown had a very good game. He had six catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. And those were most of the standout stats for Eagles players. Obviously, Kansas City, the victors. Patrick Mahomes, the Super Bowl MVP, went 21 of 27 for 182. Uh, but he did throw for three passing touchdowns and on a – uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, bad ankle, six carries for 44 <laughs> yards, uh, mostly in the second half. Speaking of the running game, Kansas City did get some contributions. Isaiah Pacheco, 15 carries for 76 yards and a score. Uh, and Travis Kelsey opened the scoring for the Chiefs. He finished the day, six catches, 81 yards and a touchdown. And obviously, again, that final score was Kansas City 38, Philadelphia 35, Kansas City Chiefs taking home Super Bowl 57. So we got the stats out of the way. Uh, Pat, again, I know you've had a, a lot more time to both stew about it. And, you know, you've gone through the five stages of grief, the acceptance, <laughs> the anger, the bargaining. Um, not even talking about, you know, the future with the Eagles. We're just going to stick to the game so much. So what were your biggest takeaways and, and you know, gripes? Obviously, the team that we love losing is 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 bad. Um, but, but what were the things that stuck out for you both professionally and as a fan? All right. So I'll start with the professional stuff because 
I feel like if I start with the fan stuff that, that, that might leak over a little bit. Uh, so I had mentioned, you know, on our, our last podcast, which I, like I said, was before the Super Bowl, that uh, the Chiefs had two distinct advantages going into this game. I, I mean, technically three if you count Patrick Mahomes because the guy's just unbelievable. But uh, the Chiefs had more experience, obviously, in in these playoff games and big games, having you know played in uh, three uh, previous Super Bowls with uh, Mahomes. They also had uh, what I thought was you know I don't want to say better coaching, but better coaching, more experienced coach uh, in Andy Reid. Uh, you know, Eric Bieniemy. They're, they're, they were just more experienced. That that that's there's no arguing that one there. It was one of those advantages that really made the difference. I think in the second half, Andy Reid has always been one of the better preparers. If you go back and look at his record off of a bye week, he's something like you know thirty six and two or something like that. So you give this guy two weeks to prepare, and you're just asking for trouble. Uh, you know, as the other team, which you know again was one of the things that sort of scared me as an Eagles fan heading into this game. I think this preparation was key f- in helping Kansas City score on all of their offensive possessions in the second half. The play that Kansas City used to score their last two touchdowns was basically the same exact play. And it was a play that Coach Reed and offensive coordinator Eric Bianami used to exploit a coverage weakness that they saw in the Eagles defense. And, and it wasn't just the Eagles defense. This, you know, this is a very common, I guess, a- exploitation that teams use uh, in the red zone. They're not going to try to explain the whole entire play here, but basically it's, it was that motion play where they put a man in motion, you know, defenders are supposed to switch. Obviously they get caught when the, uh, when the motion man comes back, uh, you know, towards the, uh, you know, where the, the vacated, uh, spot was and basically scored 14 points. And I think that that, that one particular defensive coverage obviously, you know, gave up 14 points and, and really cost the Eagles the Super Bowl. I know they say that, you know, a game isn't won or lost on one play or, you know, one penalty in this case, but in a three point game, any number of, you know, one play could have made the difference. And this was one play twice that resulted in two touchdowns. And I, so I felt like the Eagles really kind of dropped the ball. They came out really flat in the second half. Their, their first possession in the second half, if you remember was uh, that Miles Sanders fumble that uh, the chiefs recovered for a touchdown. Luckily and rightfully it, it ended up being called back. And then the Eagles went on to sustain a 17 play drive but they only scored a field goal on that first play, you know, after holding the ball for, you know, seven plus minutes and, and 17 plays. They also wasted a timeout on that drive that, you know, could have potentially helped them down the stretch, you know, had they had more than, you know, the eight seconds left when they got the ball. And, and maybe with that timeout, they do have a little bit more time left when they get the ball back. I do want to give credit to Kansas City's defense as well, though. I know Mahomes and the offense get all the credit. And I know that their defense gave up 35 points in this one, but they did a really good job. I think at making the Eagles one dimensional, they held Philadelphia to just 3.6 yards per carry. And that's with Jalen hurts breaking the super bowl record for rushing yards by a quarterback. If you take hurts rushing numbers out, you're looking at just 13 for 45 on the ground. And that's for the fifth best rushing offense during the regular season. So, you know, I want to give some kudos to Kansas city for executing that part of their defensive game plan effectively. You know, I think that that 
making the Eagles a little bit more one-dimensional, which is, you know, like you said, Jalen Hurts passed for 304 yards. I think part of the reason why he passed for so many yards is because the Chiefs really did a good job at stopping the running backs, and I think the Eagles maybe got away from their run game a little bit too quickly. But I, I also understand that it's difficult when you know you have to score uh, to keep up with a team like the Chiefs. But I, I, I feel like, you know, going into the second half with the lead, you know, I, you know, again, we're talking about we're talking about a 10 point lead and then, you know, the Eagles score a field goal. So you're not you know, you're not down. It's not imperative to get away from the running game at that point. I think you can still, you know, attempt to run the ball effectively. You do at all times want to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes hands, which I think they didn't do, obviously. And, um, you know, I think that was sort of the, the the turning point of the game was, um, you know, the Eagles getting away from the running game and, um, you know, not really putting together any, it didn't seem like they, they had like a sense of urgency on their offensive drives in the second half. I mean, you know, maybe it was because they were, you know, ahead coming out of halftime or maybe it was just, you know, good adjustments by the chiefs defense. I, I don't really know, uh, you know, exactly where the blame or, or credit goes in that situation. But all in all, I think it was a really entertaining Super Bowl. Had I not had a rooting interest in the team, you know, that eventually lost the game, I would say that was probably one of the best Super Bowls that I've ever seen. And I would absolutely love to see a, a rematch of these two teams next February. I know that's a, a tall ask, but um, I do think that both of them are playoff contenders and and potential Super Bowl contenders again next year. So um, I would love the Eagles to get another shot at this one. As a fan, you know, like I said, I think I'm just more disappointed in the coaching and the play calling in the second half. I, I I didn't want to get on here and rant too much about the holding call that at the end of the game, I know that there was, you know, after the game, that was sort of the big thing that everybody was gravitating towards was like, how could they call that? And, you know, all this, you know, sports shows and talk shows and all that stuff, they were all like, oh, you, you can't call that. And, you know, some people are like, oh, you have to call it. To, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty in the beginning of the game. It's a penalty at the end of the game. I get all that. But I, I didn't, I was very upset about the call, obviously. And one of the reasons that I didn't want to get on the day after was because I, I, I still wasn't, it didn't feel right to me. I just, I felt like, I felt like we got robbed of an offer of an opportunity. Yes. Was it a hold? It was, you know, Bradbury even admitted, you know, that he grabbed his Jersey and you could see it. It was, it was blatant. It was obvious, but I don't think that that particular hold changed the outcome of that play. But I understand that like in the heat of the moment, the flag comes out before the play is complete. And so it is what it is, but I didn't want to be that guy to come on here and just be like, Oh, the Eagles got, you know, they got hosed and they, you know, the, the refs blew it. And, you know, listen, I could not imagine trying to officiate a game moving as fast as NFL football moves. It's got to be incredibly difficult. And I do not want to place any of the blame on, you know, the officiating. I think for the most part, the officiating was really good in that game. I do still hate that last call, but that's, you know, probably just because I'm an Eagles fan. It, it you know, it, it is what it is. But uh, I feel like all in all, it was a great game. And I don't want my my sadness, you know, or, or whatever for from my team losing to sort of overshadow how great of a Super Bowl it, it actually was. I mean, it was honestly one of the best that I can ever remember watching. 
there's not a there's not a ton to disagree with. Obviously, you know, again, we we both watched the the same game. I know when we did our pregame podcast, I said that my X factor was going to be Andy Reid running the football, going against the grain of what he normally would do. And at the end of the day, whether you sit, consider first half, second half, but throughout the entire game, they really did make it a point to establish that concept. And when you look at it, and we remember from back in the day when Andy coached the Eagles, the games where they were most successful, especially in big games, especially in tight games, was when no matter what was going on, he balanced his offense. He used to be a solid 60-40, 70-30 pass to run. Uh, they were 50-50 this game. You're looking at 53 total plays, 26 were runs, 27 were passes. So right off the bat, he did exactly what I thought he would need to do to try to make that work. Uh, you did. You ran 53 plays in 24 minutes and scored 38 points. You averaged 0.7 points a play. The Eagles averaged 0.49, so call it 0.5 a play. To me, the biggest number, and Pat, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but again, we both know this, the biggest numbers of the game overall, not 38, 35, not, um, you know, the, the whatever, 105 to 52. That is the years of coaching experience of <laughs> Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Steve Spagnuolo versus Nick Sirianni, Shane Steichen, and Jonathan Gannon. These guys have taken more L's than Snoop Dogg to the dome, <laughs> where there is no way on God's green earth they've learned everything that could go wrong, will go wrong, every counterpunch to a punch, and then, therefore, every contingency known to man. Steve Spagnuolo was a part of our defensive – he was defensive coordinator for Andy Reid oh, – no, I'm sorry, Jim Johnson was. He was a linebacker coach for uh, when the Eagles lost to the Patriots. But – he eventually had a blueprint on Brady and was the defensive coordinator for the Giants when they upset them in that undefeated season in the Super Bowl. So you you have these guys that know. Eric Bieniemy just signed, and, and this scares me a little bit, he just signed to be the offensive coordinator with the Washington Commanders, who obviously they've moved on from Carson Wentz. Uh, they may look to upgrade quarterback or see what they have with Sam Howell in a different sample size. Is he going to make Sam Howell or the next quarterback the next Mahomes? Who knows? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Obviously, they're never going to be another Pat Mahomes. But you have that amount of coaching experience that really, you know, when, when you go back, it looks almost like they rope-a-doped them in a, in a weird way. Like that first half, you know, dominating the football, dominating the scoring, and they just kind of took it and kept going, okay, all right, you know, we got the ball in the second half, and, yeah, we missed a field goal, and then there were some plays, you know, again, that, that should have, would have been called either way, um, you know, talking about penalties and, and just missed – uh, review plays again. Demonta Smith looked like a catch. They said it wasn't. Uh, later on in the game, in the second half, you had Dallas Goddard, who didn't look like he caught it, held it against his helmet, so he had another helmet catch, and he runs out of the out of bounds. And then they stopped the play. Like it, it, it did have an odd flow at certain points. It was a very exciting game. Jalen Hurts, who again pound for pound was the best player in the entire game, um, also had one of the costliest parts of the entire game you know, where people want to slam the defense and say what they gave up and all the points they gave up and not being able to stop. And while it is true, the offense gave a touchdown up. So you did already take that off the board. Now you're talking 32 points. Uh, suddenly it's a field goal game. Maybe Kansas City's trying to tie it instead of win it, things of that nature. 
you also take in the fact that you had a team that all season long went on fourth down, went on fourth down, went on fourth down. And when you look at it in hindsight, you say, oh, yeah, fourth and three from the 31, you know, we're not or for, from the 32. We're not we're not going to go for it. We're going to punt for a team that had always been able to really convert on fourth down. And you say, yeah, we're in the shadow of our own goalpost. But you're also giving possessions back to another team that if they've already been scoring at will, just like at the end of the game, when you want to let them kind of get in to get the ball back and all that crap, that you're better off just trying to get it right then and there, because maybe your defense finally holds, or maybe you give up the quick score, but you, in a sense, now just gave a little bit more, you cut a lot of the clock out for yourself by doing that. Followed up with an epically poor punt and return game that brought it back to the five. You set a Super Bowl record for Kansas City with the longest return on a punt in Super Bowl history. And it was just that recipe for failure in the second half where it just looked like for everything we did right in the first half, we couldn't do anything right in the second half. And they just kept capitalizing and capitalizing and capitalizing on so many things. When you go back and look at the game statistically, again, and and stats don't lie, they just don't tell the whole truth that the Eagles – we're the better team in the entire game. Uh, but you do see that there was one turnover. There was one turnover that turned into a touchdown. And in any close game, that six, eight, seven points, however you want to look at it with point after or two-point conversion, that is arguably the the entire difference in the game for it being as close as it was. Harrison Bucker missed a field goal early on. Let's say he converts that. All these things shift a lot of the way that the teams are going to start to attack stuff because – it looked for a minute there in the beginning like, okay, here we go. We're going to really be in a shootout. And then we seem to solve the Travis Kelsey puzzle. He scores right away, goes down the field. It's like we had never heard of him. Who, who's this guy? And he just goes right down the field, just gash, 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 touchdown. And you're like, You didn't tell us you had a brother playing for the other team? What the hell? Seriously, yeah. You <laughs> thought maybe the mom put something in them cookies, maybe slowed him down a little bit. But, yeah, at the end of the day, you're, you're not expecting Isaiah Pacheco, seventh-round Rutgers running back, to come out and just start gashing you. Our strength was our offensive line, our defensive line. In the first half, you know, they, they definitely seemed to be doing their job. But I think, again, that time of possession actually came in came in a way to kind of butt us in the ass on the back end because come the second half, you know, our defensive line hadn't, been, hadn't really gotten into a rhythm more so than just being tired. Our offensive line – had been doing a lot of pass blocking and RPO blocking instead of straight grind run blocking. The Miles Sanders bit, I, I heard there was a little bit of an injury that, that may have happened on that first play when they also popped the ball loose on him. Uh, and it seemed like, yeah, they, they did kind of go away. A lot of those rushing attempts that you do see the Eagles giving credit for were, were Jalen Hurts. He had 15 carries. Gainwell had seven. Sanders had seven. Boston Scott had three. Um, and you look at Jalen Hurts had close to five yards of carry. Nobody had higher than three yards of carry after that. So for the Eagles to kind of get away from things and play into their hands, like you're saying, it does definitely disappoint because you knew how close you were. It would have been one thing if you got blown out and said, hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, But to know that, you know, your defense couldn't get to the quarterback. And I know people talked about the field and different things like that. I'm sure it had a factor, but – that their offensive line came ready to go. They were not going to let anybody get to Mahomes. You know, the ankle injury, I think, not that it was embellished. I'm sure his ankle was hurt. But for something, you know, they either shot him up with the greatest stuff in the history of the world (laughs) or the fact that it was maybe a little bit more embellished. And I know they had him mic'd up, and he's, oh, God, it hurts so bad. And then 10 seconds later, but I'm fine, though. It's okay. No, you're not. If you have a severe high ankle sprain, you're not just going to be able to just suck it up 
it, it's just, yeah, it was, it was very disappointing at the end to see that you were in that game. The disappointment level for me was kind of like that, yeah, when you're in the shower and you're almost done and then you're like, you feel like you have to poop. It's like, <laughs> I just did all this work to clean myself up. And now I got to go take a crap with wet butt cheeks. And should I just get back in? Should I do it again? Is it going to happen again? What's what's going to happen? What's going to play out? So it, that was the level of disappointment. Uh, financially took a hit. Absolutely. Uh, but we'll, we were not going to get into that on the air because it was, we'll just say it was whatever. Had a great time with my family, the party stuff and everything else. But yes, the disappointment is there. Do I think that this team is close to getting back for next year? Is there a Super Bowl hangover effect? Sure. Uh, all the uh, troll Niner fans who are worse than the Cowboy fans, to be honest with you, because you're just as bad, if not worse, that want to come out of the woodwork afterwards. See, we told you so. We told you so. We told you so. We told you so. Um, you're losers. So please stop. Your coach sucks. Your team sucks. <laughs> if you had gotten into this game, you would have gotten obliterated. So please don't tell me that Brock Purdy, Bree, Drew Brees, whatever you want to make him out to be, would have had any effect on anything in this game. It wouldn't have happened. You know, that being said, 2023, there's some free agency moves, you know, Hurts getting re-signed. This is going to – the team's going to look a lot different. Are they still going to be one of the top three, four teams in the NFC? Absolutely. Can they avoid the injury bug as much as they did through the season, especially at the end, being able to start all 22 starters? Hopefully that does come back into play. You're going to play a first-place schedule. You're going to have a lot – you know, you're going to have a lot riding on you. You're going to have a big target on your back. You're going to have a lot more national game action going on. So we it remains to be seen. Some coaching changes, too. Your, your two coordinators left really pretty much within the week after the Super Bowl. They just elevated Brian Johnson, quarterback coach, to the offensive coordinator, which is a good thing. Him and Jalen Hurts go way back, have a strong rapport uh, as far as mentor and student and things like that. Uh, and then defensively, Sean Desai, who was a Vic Fangio disciple and was as recently uh, associate head coach and a defensive specialist with Seattle, who had last been a defensive coordinator with the Chicago Bears under Fangio and, and you know all that stuff. He comes to the Eagles with a good pedigree and, and a lot of things going for him. So we're going to see if they get back. But yes, uh, you know, it was uh, it was brutal, Pat, I, I will admit, but. You know, I, I've moved on. Go Phils. I'm ready for uh, <laughs> a World Series run from our Philadelphia Phillies. And, and you know, by at that point, we'll be midway through our Super Bowl run with the Eagles. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, we uh, actually funny that you say that my one of the guys I work with is actually taking off basically the rest of this week and heading down to um, the Phils spring training. So uh, Clearwater. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So he'll be down there. Um, I think I think he's tomorrow through. I think Sunday. So, awesome. but uh, yeah, baseball, you know, I, I am not a huge baseball guy. Uh, I do enjoy watching it from time to time. I, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, this, this new pitch clock will speed nah, things up a little a bit. Not a fan. No? Not a fan. Nah. It, it's, here's why. And, and I'll say in the long run, the speeding up of the game, it's for a generation that, again, we, we talk about this a lot, <laughs> mm-hmm. ways to, you know, change things around that, that everybody wants it in a smaller, quicker, more concise sample size. And yes, do some of the things happen too often where um, the batter steps out of the box. He adjusts his cup. He does his gloves. He puts his bat a certain way. He looks down the side. He looks, gets a signal. Same thing with the pitcher. A lot of them go. And that's where this pitch clock affects both the batter and the hitter. I think mm-hmm. that it's going to be a tough year or two for some of these veterans to get adjusted to it. They've had their routine since they were eight years old, nine years old. 
And now they're going to be forced to, hey, speed it up, speed it up, speed it up, speed it up. And I think it's it's putting them at a disadvantage. Now, a lot of the younger players and the minors have had experience with this for a couple of years. So they've been able to experience the rapid pace and the rapid fire. You actually just had a game preseason where it was Red Sox and Atlanta, I think it was. And it was the bottom of the ninth. And you had a walk-off called strikeout because the batter took too long to get adjusted in the box. So the, the clock ran out. It wasn't on the pitcher. It was on the batter. And they called him out with the bases loaded that would have won the game if he got a hit. And that was it. It was like, so that's how you're going to end the game. Almost like ending the game on a BS uh, defensive holding call <laughs> after the quarterback pleads his, after he pleads his case and everybody was going with it. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, I can throw the fly. Sure, you got it, Pat. No problem. <laughs> Even though there was way more egregious one on Schuster uh, earlier in the game when he had that curl right over the middle and got tackled by James Bradbury, and they they, they just kind of let it ride. So, you know, comparing apples to apples in a sense of complete and utter bullshit, yeah, uh, pretty much the same thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So hopefully your friend has a good time. At least, yeah, she'll be able to get more time in maybe golfing uh, instead of watching the game. <laughs> yeah. Less drinking at the game anyway and more drinking on the golf course, I guess. Hey, <laughs> got to get it in somehow. You're going to yeah. be in Florida for a week. You might as well enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that is uh, that's our Super Bowl review. It's going to be a short one this this week. We are, as Scott said, we're going to uh, basically one a month uh, episodes now until the preseason starts. Some of the stuff that we have coming up for you again, we'll review our preseason rankings from this year. See how we did, how far off we were on some of them, and uh, you know how how close we hit the nail on the head with some. We're going to talk incoming rookies. The uh, rookie draft is, what, less than two months away now. Mm -hmm. We'll talk a little bit of combine stuff uh, as far as, you know, numbers when we get into the rookies. And then uh, I think we're going to do another mock draft, head-to-head -head mock draft. Scott, uh, Scott pulled that one out and, and beat me in our head-to-head -head mock draft last year. So I definitely want to keep <laughs> that going. Might want to rephrase that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that's what we got coming up for you over the next few months. Uh, like I said, it will be one episode per month. You can check out our website to see when those episodes will be out. Also, before we go, we want to say thank you to Mickey's Pub in Tuckerton, New Jersey for partnering with the show. Uh, if you're looking for a great place to watch football or now baseball, I guess, Mickey's Pub is the place. Great food, drink specials, and all the sports you can handle. Mickey's Pub, 327 East Main Street in Tuckerton, New Jersey, where friends and family meet. Uh, Scott, you got anything else before any other rants before we uh, we sign off for the night? Uh, no, no other rants. Like I said, I think we both you know got it out. I think, folks, this was way tamer than it would have been uh, a couple <laughs> Mondays ago. ago. <laughs> Let's say, yeah, I, I, I it would have been like a lot bluer uh, to say the least. <laughs> um, but I would again, have had a lot know, more editing to do. I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. We would have been just trying to get it uh, to like NC seventeen. I think would have been, you know, <laughs> a, a, a little dicey, a little tough. Uh, but uh, folks, again, uh, the twenty twenty three NFL season. I'm sorry, twenty twenty two NFL season is in the books, uh, both fantasy and reality. Uh, we do thank everybody for listening, as always, and we look forward to again putting together some good off season content for you folks getting back into the fantasy of it with some new players, new faces and new places. And uh, obviously, you know, just, just trying to get us to, to August uh, to when the real good stuff happens. So on behalf of Pat, uh, this is Scott again here at the nine route. We do love and appreciate everybody listening. 
We thank you so much. Uh, please keep it up, like, and subscribe, share with everybody, and we look forward to the NFL 2023 fantasy football season here at the Nine Round. Peace.